aboard the Power Up with Manal podcast, your go-to source for inspiring entrepreneurship, leadership, and mental fitness development. Get ready to push your limits mentally and come away feeling like a turbocharged version of yourself. Let's power up our lives. On this week's episode, I am so honored to present Rajiv Kapoor, CEO and president of 1105 Media. He also currently wrote a book, one of the best-selling leadership books out there called Chase Greatness. His leadership and culture is embodied in every aspect of his life, and that is what I love hearing the most. His company culture, just to give you a tidbit, is prioritized all around his clients and employees. The employee motto for the company is hashtag be amazing. Chase Greatness is a book you must grab. It will leave a lasting impression as it provides a powerful guide of evolving leadership with our evolving society and is a reflection of the values that will enhance lives and make the world a better place. I can't wait for you to hone in onto Rajiv's insights and wisdoms. Rajiv Kapoor, thank you so much for joining our podcast today. It is such an honor for you to be here. Your journey is super inspirational. You've done many things in life and we are excited to not only have you introduce yourself, but also tell us your journey and how you got to where you are today. Well, Mal, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's definitely an honor for me to be here. And first of all, I have to just say congratulations on all your success. Thank you. Thank I mean, you. I mean, I mean, you're a true trailblazer in your own right. Hey, so, we're doing it. Let's go. Right. 2023. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no. So uh, where, where do you want me to start? You know, uh, you know, do a little introduction on who who is Rajiv, so we get to know you, and then maybe share how you went from you know you you seem to have a very robust corporate career, and then you made a shift um, into you know co-founding a company and and going off on your own. And I feel like that transition um, is something that would be of great interest for everyone to hear. You know, I, I'm born and bred in Southern California. I'm a Southern California boy, and the family is from India. And so married and two boys, two amazing sons, one's 21 senior in college, the other one's a sophomore in college, and have an amazing puppy named Chewy. He's awesome. <laughs> Your favorite son. <laughs> my favorite son. Yeah, my favorite son. No, no, don't tell them that. Uh, they, they don't listen to my podcast anyways, but anyways, don't, don't tell them. But uh, no, and so look, I, I, I've just have been blessed with, with really being one of those people who kind of went and kind of grabbed the bull by the horn, so to speak, in my career. And, you know, I didn't really have, early on in my kind of career, I didn't really have, I had kind of a mentor kind of early on, but then there was a middle ground area where I really wasn't sure where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. Right. But then I, I kind of really loved the idea of leadership and managing people. And, you know, I, when I ended up at Dell, it, you know, I was one of Michael Dell's very first executive assistants. And oh, wow. Worked, yeah directly for him for a couple for a year or so that was pretty amazing and, yeah. and, and that's when I was in Austin I mentioned you earlier before we got on my yeah, yeah. So, yeah so I was at Dell in Austin for about six and a half seven years and then um, in, in Southern California for Dell and then over in Asia for Dell for about four years two years oh, in nice. China two years in Singapore and so you know, my Dell experience is really what gave me the foundation and you know, I started off and for your listeners you know I started off as just a phone salesperson an inside salesperson I just kept working my way up throughout my career, and now you, you know, fast forward thirty years, and I'm the CEO of my third, I'm the CEO of a third company, and wow. and so that's what's the, that, that's what's been exciting and, and fun, and and it's been a hell of a journey, and you know, and I enjoy every minute of it, and 
but the, the, this is my passion, and I'm really, and I, and I, you know, I, I can't play basketball. I can't play basketball. And there's a picture of Kobe behind me, but I can't play basketball. But you know what? I, I know how to be a CEO, and so you know, and, and so it's, it's it's been a hell of a journey, and it's been great, and I have an amazing. I'm very blessed, and I got a lot of gratitude for the people of my teams around me, and I've met just so many amazing people on my journey, and you know, and I've met people. You know, all walks of life. Like, um, I'll give you an example. A few months ago, I met this person who is a doctor. Right. And, you know, she, she is Stanford, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah. And she could be making as much money as she could possibly think of, right? Super intelligent. And yet she spends a lot of her time working in South Central Los Angeles at a local clinic, helping, you know, people who are, who, are who, yeah. who need the help in those communities. And so you, you meet people like that. And that's what really, you know, allows you to think about you know, the real, the real you know, gratitude for life and why you feel good about the future. And, and so, so that's, uh, it's, it's really given me, you know, my, my career as a woman that's blessed a lot of support from family and friends. And, and so it's, it's been really it's been really wonderful. And, you know, then COVID happened and I'm sure we're going to jump into that. And, and I wrote a book during COVID and that's one of the reasons why we're here. I'm sure we're going to talk about that, but you know, so that's, uh, that's kind of who I am. I'm just a really, I'm just a really kind of what you see is what you get. And, you know, I'm a very, very happy go lucky and don't let stress get to me. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, just go out there and, you know, try to seize the day, so to speak. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, taking a step back, because um, what you said is very interesting, and I, I feel like there are people out there that would really benefit from, you know, your journey. So you, when you started, and you started as a phone sales rep and worked your way up, what advice do you have? And then, and then shifted, which we want, we, at one point, at some point, we'll talk about how you made that shift to entrepreneurship. But what advice do you have for people out there that are in the same shoes, that feel kind of stuck? or, you know, don't know how to advance their career and, and become what they want to be or achieve their goals. Like, you know, a lot of people either have insecurities or, you know, they don't feel confident or they don't have the right path or actions put in place. Is there any advice you can give for those out there? Because um, we follow societal norms maybe a little too much at times. Um, there's a lot of, you know, noise outside factors and, you know, I sort of faced that when I was in the finance world and I was like, man, like I didn't go to an Ivy League school like my counterparts. So, you know, like the, the finance bros, I'll just kind of put it in quotes. Um, and I had to work, I always had to prove myself and work extra hard. And I'll be honest, there were times where maybe I didn't feel my worth, but my worth probably was a lot more. And I wish I knew that earlier in my career, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, from that perspective, I think you and I are kind of kindred spirits because I was... I went to an undergrad that was a state school, and eventually I did my master's at USC as well. But, but for me at Dell, I'll give you an example. My career at Dell was I was I just had to be the hardest worker in the room. Like I, I did, I wasn't I wasn't the guy that came from Harvard. I wasn't the guy that came from Wharton, you know, right. or any place like that, right? You know, and so I just kind of had to do that. And you know, you talk about the advice I can give people, you know, young people who might be listening, is. You, you know, if you think about it, you're in the same boat as everybody. So you have to find a way to distinguish yourself. And the way you distinguish yourself is you got to raise your hand. Right. You got to ask questions. And it's, and it's the simple things that you care about in your career. It's 
be the first one to the meeting, be the last one to leave, be super, super curious, right? I, I like, if you really want to advance in your career, you got to be really curious. You know, you got to ask questions. Right. You come up with ideas. You got to be really innovative, you know? You, you know, and, but, you know, the thing that really changed for me, obviously I worked for Michael, that was a big deal. And, that, really helped, and, and that, that helped launch my career with Adele. But the thing, but even within a company like that, at some point you hit, a, you hit kind of a plateau and you get, eventually you want to get another inflection point. And for me, it was when back in 2000, I was running the West Coast for Dell and it was like a billion dollar business. And I was expecting, and I had a phone call scheduled with Michael and my boss, and I thought I was getting this promotion. And the phone call came in and they, they said, well, Regine, we want you to go to China. Oh, and, wow. I was, and I'm like, what? Where did I go wrong? <laughs> like, it's like sending me to Siberia. Like, what happened? Like, what did I go wrong? <laughs> Well, what do you mean you want to send me to China? And I was kind of upset. They're like, are you done talking? Like, yeah. They're like, look. Are you done talking? Yeah. <laughs> You're blowing and, cold. <laughs> yeah. And and so and so they're they're like, well, look, we want to send our best people. I'm like, oh, because China was the biggest potential market for the company, and they wanted to flood it with U.S.-based employees, U.S. expats to go out there and try to build, try to bring the Dell culture, the Dell model, the Dell right. way of doing business. And, and help grow the Dell business in China and, and really do well there. And so, you know, so the, the advice is always raise your hand for the tough job, you know? And so I didn't, I didn't raise my hand initially. They asked me to go, but then after listening to what they had to say, I raised my hand and said, yeah, I'll go. And so I ended up going to China, um, you know, married and went to China. And our first son found out we were pregnant around that same time. And oh, wow. son, yeah, <laughs> and so and we came back and gave birth here in the States, but back and forth between China and Hong Kong and then eventually Singapore, but you raise your hand for the tough job. You know, if, if, remember, you, you want to distinguish yourself, you know, because, you know, you are your own brand. Right. Internally in the company. Right. And if, and if you're just going to be like everybody else, come to the office, nine to five, well, not people work from home, but they were hybrid or whatever you're doing, and you're nine to five, and you're not being curious, you're not raising your hand, you're not coming up with ideas, you're just going to kind of be along you're just going to be along for the ride with everybody else. Right. And if you notice the people that get promoted, the people that move up in their careers are the ones who do raise their hands. Right. Are the ones who do practice innovation, are the ones right. who do focus on building, bringing a sense of accountability to themselves. Right. And willing to take risks. And so that, that's how you're going to move up in your career. If, if you're a young, if you're a young Gen Zer or, or a millennial who's just kind of like in your, late 20s, you're trying to figure out how to move up again, you know, go find the hardest thing to do in the company, go raise your hand and go do that. Yeah, yeah, challenge, yeah, throw yourself, well, I had a mentor that once told me, throw yourself in the fire and and find the solutions. There's always a solution. And I did that, I remember in 2008, I remember I did that. We were in a recession and my, at that time my VP was like, hey, you wanna get promoted? I was like, yes. It's like, well, we need somebody to go out there, manage 400 people, and uh, run a product that has never existed in the United States. I'm like, done. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Right, because here's the thing, right? I mean, there's really no downside risk because if it doesn't work, right, you're looked upon the person who volunteered to do it. Right. You showed that you're willing to take a risk and that you tried. Right. Right. Now, if you just go there and sit on your hands, you don't do anything, that's a problem. But if you go out there and you give it, 110 effort that you know you could that's great and if it doesn't work but but here's the thing if it does work you've kind of written your own ticket right 
you know, and so you can do whatever you want after that. And so that's kind of what happened with me in my career. And I kind of learned, you know, learned early on in my career at Dell that I wanted to be the CEO of a company. And so I love that. I was, I was never going to be the CEO of Dell. <laughs> so, <laughs> so as, as luck would have it, there was, a, there was an opportunity for me to leave and go to a really small e-commerce business back in 2004. And yeah. so I did that and that was, that was wild because here I am running big 400 million, billion dollar right. yeah. you know, divisions within Dell and you go to a $19 million company. Yeah. Okay, like, wow. It's a talk about culture. Also just simple things like you're so used to when you work for a fortune 500 company that you put, there's, there are resources for everything, right? <laughs> there's the thing, right? In a $19 million business, you know, you're probably doing a couple million dollars of profit, right? You know, right. you probably do a couple million dollars of free cash. And so if you make a million dollar mistake, oh my God, that's like. The impact is huge. Right. Impact is massive. It does if you make a million dollar mistake. It's a rounding year to like the 50th decimal point. Nobody <laughs> exactly. notices. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's different. And, you know, and I wanted to, and I wanted to be in that small business culture. Cause I wanted to learn it. I wanted to be, be a part of it. I wanted, I didn't want to just be a, I just didn't want to be a fortune 50 Dell guy, you know, right. In my, my, my whole career with that label. Right. So then I went, so I went to that company for about four years and then, you know, they did pretty well there and, and then went to that entrepreneurial startup with a partner and you know, did okay there. And then, uh, and we sold off that IP and then went to a, uh, another company uh, in, that was based in Switzerland. So I, I was back and forth between Switzerland wow. and L.A. all the time. So I was bouncing back and forth. So you've worked in and, how many countries now? Like 20? I believe yeah, that's... Yeah, it's 21. Yeah. 21. Look at yeah. you. That's amazing. But that, that experience on its own uh, says different things. And I'm curious, you know... You know, you, you're from an Indian background. I am also from the Eastern Hemisphere of the world. And I, you know, the, the, the advice you give isn't the way a lot of cultures are raised, especially in at home or in the workforce. Um, for those out there that have the IQ, right? Because I remember when I was raised and going to school, you didn't speak up. It just was the, that was the culture, right? Um, you put your head down, you worked really hard. We were writing thesis papers when we were in like fifth grade. Um, my kids are still doing multiple choice in like 12, 11th grade. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> you do you not write thesis papers. Um, and so like, he, I think this was one of my biggest struggles. If I could give my young self any advice coming here and, you know, from overseas and starting my career, we just were not taught to network, have sponsorship, what it means to, you know, have maybe high EQ and how to develop those leadership skills. Did you face that working in multiple countries? And how did you give your employees advice on getting out of that sort of cultural, I would say, challenge? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the things I learned early on is all employees, no matter what country you're in, they all want to achieve the same thing. Right. Exactly. Right. They want to be happy. They want to be successful. They want to get promoted. They want to tell their spouse, partner, parents, whomever. No, they want people to feel proud of them, right? right? They want to go hang out with their friends. They want to go buy a new car. They want to have nice clothes. They want to enjoy their life. They want to buy a house. Whatever they want to do. It doesn't matter if you're in because it doesn't matter if you're in Paris. It doesn't matter if you're in Switzerland. It doesn't matter if you're in China, Singapore, whatever. Everybody was kind of the same, right? Now, what was different? Yeah. Things were different, you know, but it was more, it's more outside factors. Food is different, you know, Right. you know, you know, uh, just 
you know, how, you know, in Europe, you dealt with maybe a little bit more of a casual attitude in the summer months. <laughs> yeah. You know, in August, right. You know, and Asia is a bit more hard charging, you know, uh, and, you know, in some of the Asian cultures, you know, people are working, you know, they, they don't know how to take a break. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and, 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 <laughs> you know, and, and, you know and that's not good either. And you, you talk about upbringings and it's like, you know, I was, kind of, I had a foot in both worlds, you know, right. I was, I was never, I was kind of like the, the anti-Indian kid growing up just because I was, I didn't want to be a doctor. I wasn't going to be an engineer, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I, you know, I, and I was, I was a good student. I mean, I wasn't like a, like, you know, comp sci engineer type student, you know, mathematician, right. whiz, anything like that. I was good at the spelling bee, which, which is the, <laughs> Which, which is, as you know, the Indian okay, so now, now you killed it because I was, I was staying on the path of the anti, yeah. uh, you know, stereotype Indian kid. <laughs> well, no, but I say that just because it's funny because right, the spelling bee is the, is the Indian, the spelling bee is the Indian Super Bowl. And I was actually pretty yes. good at it. <laughs> the Indian Super Bowl. <laughs> right. And so, you know, that so was I was actually pretty good. Right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I was actually pretty good at that. But anyways, but, you know, but all joking aside, I just kind of really wanted to go out there and live life. Right. And so, and that's what I do now. I mean, I, my stress levels are low. I've got great family and great friends. I meet a meeting and amazing people. And, you know, being here, growing up here, I learned networking. I learned right. all those things that they don't get taught in other places in the world. Right. And so I think those skills really help me. And so anyways, I'm blessed, you know, I'm lucky and there, there we have it. Well, let's talk a little bit about your book. So you wrote a book and your book, interestingly, is focused on leadership. It's focused on why traditional, I guess, leadership doesn't work in our future to, in, in our future world, right? Could yep. you fill us in a little bit on what inspired you to write a book, what your book's about, and, you know, what value it has for somebody, especially an entrepreneur, going out there and picking up your book? Yeah. So, you know, the book is called Chase Brightness, and it, it's about... And in order to chase greatness, you have to embrace a concept of leadership called enlightened leadership. And I, I wrote the book right when COVID hit. And I'll tell you a little story. So on March 14th, 15th, around that time, when Trump said, hey, we're shutting everything down. Yeah. You know, half my business or 60% of my business was face-to-face -face events. Oh. So... Overnight, you lose all of that business. Right. And so we lost all that business. And, you know, for the first time, Model, you know, you're, I'm sitting there staring at my laptop and I'm oh working at home now, right? I'm, I'm working from home. My in-laws are staying at, at the house. Kids are home. Both boys are home now because they couldn't be in college. My son was going to school in Paris. My older son, Sean, was going to school in Paris. And we had to fly him home. And so we got him home and... Uh, both the boys are there, the dog's there, you know, everybody's there, everybody's working, everybody's doing their thing. And so it was like, it was kind of a chaos, madhouse, right? And, some, and I know people had it worse, but it's not a always me story. It's only that I needed, I needed something for my own mental health to kind of break away and kind of sit in the corner and do my own thing. Right. It wasn't working. And so, you know, I, I got hit with that whole idea of writing the book back when I started thinking about when you're on an airplane, the flight attendant says, in case of turbulence, masks might fall from the ceiling. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and, what, and what do they tell you to do? They tell you to put on your own mask first. Right, yes. Before you put on somebody else's mask. Yeah. 
And I felt like before I could help my company, before I could help my team, family, yeah. friends, whoever it is, you had to put on my mask. own mask first. Yeah. And writing the book was my was the version of me putting on my own mask first. Oh, I love that. I had the idea of the book for for a couple of years. Yeah. And when COVID hit, it kind of really accelerated my thought process and some of the research I was doing around it. And so, you know, I, and that's kind of where we are. And what happened was, and the reason why the book is called Chase Greatness is because I was sitting there a couple of weeks into writing the book and I kept asking myself, what does it mean to be great? What, that, what does that word yeah. mean? People say, oh, you got to be great. Like, what, what does that <laughs> like, mean? It like, mean it, yeah. it means different things for different people. Exactly. Right? I wrote the word great on the whiteboard and then I would stare at it and I'd look <laughs> at it and I would say, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? Yeah. And that's why I wrote great. And then I got up on my whiteboard and I wrote it vertically. Yeah. And then I wrote the word gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and trust. Love it. And that's what makes up the word great. And I felt like you needed those five attributes and in, in, in the midst of this major chaos that's yeah. happening in the world, you need these five key attributes to survive. That, that was my take. That's my view. Right. So how do I chase that? And that's how the title of the book came, Chase Greatness, because I had to chase those five attributes every single day. Yeah. Gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and trust. Now, yeah. halfway through the process, I actually changed the word from trust to transparency because I found in leading my team that if I wanted them to trust me, I had to be fully transparent with right. what's happening in the business. Exactly. So before I, before I could earn their trust, I had to be fully transparent. So I changed it to transparency. So it's gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and transparency. So that's what has changed greatness. And that led then to this concept of enlightened leadership that said, hey, you know, we all grew up, I grew up, I know you did, on servant leadership. Right. Right. Servant leadership, for those who are not familiar, it kind of started a lot. It kind of started in the eighties. It was something that you know Jack Welch and these guys kind of pushed. It right. kind of it had to start kind of in the church, and so and if the idea was, I work for you. So if we were in the same company, if I was your boss, model, I'm here for you. What tool do you need? What resource do you need? I'm here to make you successful in the business. I work for you. What do you need to be successful? That's essentially right. servant leadership, right? Right. I'm going to lead from the front with you. Enlightened leadership says, huh. Now, remember, a lot of things happened in 2020, right? right? COVID happened. George Floyd stuff happened. Right. I don't want to get political, but yep. we, had a, we had a president who, yep. in my view, in my personal view, was um, a little difficult in terms yep. of race relations. We just had a lot going that, on from a macro, yeah. macro, economic, political, like we are in a very interesting Co time. You know, climate Digital change shift, issues. Climate shift, like right. lots of drastic changes happening. Yep. You know, so there was diversity challenges. Right. Uh, the, the whole LGBTQ issues started to explode more and more. You know, gay marriage had been approved just a couple of years earlier. Right. So there were things about inclusion and, you know, you name it, right? right. And so what started happening was, I mean, yeah, and, yeah. And so everything out of the pandemic, we were like. Well, you know, and so all that was going on while I was writing the book. And to me, enlightened leadership says, not only do you, not only am I here to work for you within the business, the question I ask is, what can I do to help? you'd be successful outside the walls of the business. 
Yes, I love that. And that's the difference. Being and I'll give you yes, and, and I'll give you an example. So, like, I know that no matter what I do in my company of my 110, 112 employees, you know, I can't please everybody. Right. So the idea wasn't to please everybody. The idea was what are the things I could do to where people can embrace and have their have their ability to choose on their own and give them the power of choice. Right. So one of the things so one of the things we did in the company was we gave everybody a paid day off to go vote in twenty twenty. So when the election came. So people didn't have to call and sick. They got a I shut the company down, paid, no problem, don't worry about it, you're not gonna lose any money, go vote. And if you voted by mail, take a take a mental wellness day, go go volunteer and be a poll watcher yeah. or do nothing. Whatever. Right. I don't care. Go watch a movie if you want. And so the idea was to give them that, to do that, and to really kind of give back that way. And so that was kind of the idea of, of enlightened leadership, which is really standing and looking at it. Because in, if you look at it foundationally, in the next two to three years, the majority of the workforce is going to be Gen Z right. and millennial. Yeah. And for the first time, women are going to be the majority of the workforce. Yeah. By 2025, early 2026, women are going to be the majority of the workforce, right? Where do you live? We've, heard, we've heard three ambulances so far. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a and there's a there's a hospital not that too far away, um, but uh, I'm in my office. But uh, you know, it's what's interesting is that you know you have you have Gen Z and Millennial rising in the workforce. Yeah. You have Boomers are retiring. Exactly. Right, and so that leaves Gen X as kind of Gen Xers are kind of coming up in the who are in their fifties. The 60s are the ones that are going to kind of be the next level of leadership, and they have to manage the Gen Z or Millennials. Right. You know, and oh, there's too woke and blah, 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 and all that stuff, right? But I'm here to tell you that that the CEOs of the future better get on board with the fact that there's a changing climate coming, you know, and I don't mean climate change, I mean in the workplace change, right? Yeah. With, with, with remote work, with the fact that employees, if you look at what, you know, you have ESG initiatives happening, right, environmental social governance issues. Right. I call it, I call it JEDI, Justice, Environment, Diversity, Inclusion. Right. And so you have all those different things. And those things are what is what's important to employees. You know, they want to be able to have, a good, you know. And so so that was the concept of enlightened leadership that says, hey, you know, one of the best ways you as a leader can go forward in the future is you don't have to choose between passion, purpose and profits. Right. Because, you know, you're taught early on that you have to choose between purpose and profits. Well, you don't have to. Yeah. In fact, McKenzie came out and said, "Hey, if you focus on, if you focus on your, if you focus on having both a bottom line and a, a, a focus for your business, as well as a bottom line focus for the welfare of your employees, you can yeah, actually see a five to, yeah, yeah, you can actually see a five or seven to seven, five to seven percent improvement of your EBITDA, right? Yeah, and yeah. so, or that, and, you know, or profitability of people nothing with EBITDA, and so." So that, and I, and I believe that, and, and the reason why is because you, you're retaining your employees longer, right? When you lose an employee, you have to go through so many hoops to, to then go find a replacement for that employee. It costs you money every time you lose an employee. Yeah. So find ways to retain your employees, right? We you all know, lose employees. Yeah. I, I still lose employees. And so, so you find ways to, you've got to do that. And so that was really the whole idea of the basis of the book and how leadership needed to change to embrace the fact that Gen Z, millennial, and women 
require, are going to demand, not require, are going to demand a different type of leadership in the future. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, one thing that I usually, so being a uh, young mother with a very robust career, I will put it that way, um, and, and I'm, I don't, it's not just mothers, but that was just my specific journey. One thing I had to learn to do, and I actually read a really good book called Doing Both. He was a Cisco strategist by the name of Inder Narula. Um, and I read that book back in like, I want to say 2009. And I had, you know, just joined a full-time MBA program. My baby was only two months old. I had a five-year-old, uh, lots of dependents in the house, like four other kids, adults, etc. <laughs> and um I remember when I read that book, and this is exactly what you're talking about. He he was talking about how we make too many trade-offs. And as a strategist for Cisco, he decided that trade-offs were not healthy and that he started challenging people on figuring out how to do the top two or three priorities rather than forfeit all everything for that one, right? And move and be a little more agile in your thought. Yeah. And it is so true. Like, it's so true. You're, and, and, and the other thing, I'm just, I, and I love what you said, because we in life spend so much time figuring out work-life balance when that whole concept doesn't exist because work is part of your life. It is literally part of your life. And so we're trying to achieve something that's unattainable. Like it's not achievable. And we are sitting here trying to figure that out. And then we have burnout. We have anxiety. We have depression because our reality versus our expectation is disparately so distant, right? And and you hit it on the nail. Like that, that is absolutely right. And I wish you wrote your book back when I had just had my babies <laughs> working in the IB. But yes, I, I agree completely. Yeah, and, but that's where I think CEOs of the future need to find ways to at least meet their employees halfway. Like, for example, you know, everybody has a smartphone now. Right. Right. I can do, I, I can run 95% of my company on my smartphone from anywhere in the world. Yes. Right. And so, but here's the thing. I can do everything I can to tell my employees, please don't look at your emails after 5 p.m., but they're going to look at anyways. Yeah. Right. You know, and so I got to meet the employees halfway. So some of the things we do at 1105 is we offer, Every six, you know, employees get two extra, you know, not extra, but they get two mental wellness days a year. If they want to, if they just sometimes feel like they need to just go yeah. and, you know, they get, six, they get 16 hours to just go and, yeah. you know, if they feel like they need a break and you know, whatever they need to do, those yeah. things, right? That's right. And, and for me, it's like, you know, like all my employees are remote. I have very few employees in an office and, you know, the work's getting done. We've had three amazing years and it's, it's been a great ride. And, you know, we, we recovered from COVID. It took us about six months to recover from COVID. We did the layoffs and all that stuff. Pay cuts took us six months to figure everything out. We did. We got it all figured out. And I'm so proud of this team because, you know, they're the ones who showed resilience. Right. You know, there's that word again, resilience. And so mm -hmm. they're the ones who showed that word, you know, who showed that resilience to be able to come in really allow us to do the thing to do. In fact, I'm so proud of the team is that, you know, you know we did not take a dollar of government money support. One dollar, and so we're I think one of one of the very few companies who didn't do that, and so you know because you know when COVID hit, you know well there was you know there's I couldn't call a mentor because right. they they're going through the same thing you know? exactly right, and then you know there's no case study you could go read from Harvard or from right. Wharton or anybody because guess what no one had written a case study for COVID, but I kind of I kind of decided in my head said you know what we're going to figure it out and then maybe in twenty years 
they're going to write the case study about what we did. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. No, I love that. I love that. So how do you, Rajiv, how do you like preserve that, the culture, the leadership, what you're trying to keep your work culture to embody? How do you ensure that it is, you know, with all the leaders in your company and that everybody feels it and understands it and is, you know, because process you can always teach, right? Yeah. What the company's about and the products and the value prop of the products. Those are the, I, I always call those like the easy things, although they're not easy, but in relatively, it is easier to manage a process and products than it is your mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? Foundation, so foundationally, it comes back to that word great. It comes back to those five words of gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and transparency. Because, you know, one of the things we do every quarter at the company is we do a recognition event where right. we recognize the top performers from all the different business units. Oh, that's great. And, and if you look at 1105, 1105 is set up as a B2B marketing and media services company. Yes. And we cover, and there are four companies within 1105 that all report up into me. And so each company is at a different level of maturity. So we then do a recognition event that says, who's the best performer in this company? Who's the best performer in this company? Yes. But what were the wins? You know, what are the opportunities? What were the challenges? So we, so we do that every quarter, right? We do, we over-communicate. So it took me, uh, I just had my eight-year anniversary. It took me seven years, six, six not seven years, to build out the management team to where I, where, where I have it now. And I really feel like I have an amazing management team. That's amazing. And so, and, and they, they really mimic my style. And so they, they know. And so we, we, we lean a lot on gratitude. We, we lean a lot on just listening. We lean a lot on trying to go to the front, to, to the voice that's closest to the customer. Now, here's the thing about the customer. I, I tell my team, we have two customers. We have the external customer who we have the revenue from. Right. And, then and, we internal. Have our, and then we have our internal customer. Yeah. And so I tell them, that their internal customer needs to be as important, if not more important, than their external customer. Yeah. And so I've beaten that in their heads now for the last few years <laughs> until they get it and they understand it. And so, look, are we perfect? No. Do we have a problem? Sure. Yeah. People still leave me attrition? Sure. But we do everything we, we try. And I think I think we get good marks because we try. And right. people know that we try. And you're and genuine about it. Yeah. And we are. That's people know that. Yeah. yeah. And we are. And we, you know, we're, we're you know, we're, we, uh, we review our, our vision or our mission or our core values all the time. That we do all those things on, on a regular basis. You know, we we're very open in our communication. We're very transparent. With, we try to be very transparent with the business. Sometimes there are things you can't talk about, but we try to be very transparent with about how we're doing in the business and where we're going. And just try to be honest with people. And yeah. we let and then we let people make their decision based on that. Like, you know, so so that's kind of where we are. Those are the things that we those are the kind of the core foundational pieces. That, that we have in place. The other thing I decided to do here was I decided I was going to do everything I can to promote from within. So if you look at my management team, every single person, with the exception of, yeah, every every single person has been promoted from within the company. That's Which is great. That's great. Because now you've said that you are there invested in their growth, in their future, in their career goals, et cetera, right? That's that's great. So you've you've sort of shifted, you've written your book, you have, you're running a company. And I think now you're, what's next, Rajiv? Are you taking on, I, I heard you're taking on some executive coaching, which I mean, 
with your experience, with your rigor, with your mental fitness, with your just genuine humbleness, I think like you would be such an amazing executive coach for somebody. Like I can just already see it. So tell us a little bit about your new, newfound light and venture and your love for coaching and influencing. Yeah, no, look, I, you know, I think part of my personal problem is like, I'm always going hundred miles an hour. I love your problem. It's not you a know? problem. <laughs> you know, so. As long as you take your mental, you know. Yeah, no, and, and, and like I said, look, and I'm, and I'm very happy, you know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm cool. And so, you know, it's uh, the only thing that ever gets me stressed out are the Lakers, but other than that, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. But no, it's, you know, look, for me, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, the book is really resonating with a lot of people. It's resonating yes. a lot with Gen Z and millennials. It's resonating a lot with women. So I'm really happy about that. Uh, you know, I am, uh, you know, I, the, the coaching thing is kind of a natural next step. Yeah. I'm a member of an amazing, I'm a member of an amazing organization called YPO, Young President's Organization, even though, oh, nice. yeah, even though I'm not young anymore, I'm a lot older now, but I joined a long time ago. But, <laughs> hey, you're young at heart. That's what matters. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what matters. And so, so I spent a lot of time with that, but, you know, but it's, it's given me, you know, I have a lot of contacts, a lot of, I have a huge network and I decided, you know what, well, let me put that to use. Right. You know, let, let me find ways to maybe help coach others. executives, help others and coach them. And so. Yeah, so that's been kind of fun. I've got a couple of clients doing that. I thought that's been great. And then uh, for fun, you know, after the writing bug of writing the book, yeah, the bug, the bug, of, the bug of writing the book, I uh, wrote a movie screenplay. And about two months ago, three months ago, I sold it. I'm just so, I love this. I love that you tap into your creative side. So tell us a little bit about this. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look, you know, after I wrote the book, they, they tell you after you write something like that to put it away for a month. And so I really put it away for a month. And okay. I had a little bit of, you know, you have a little bit of imposter syndrome if you're like, who the hell is going to read this thing? <laughs> why, why, why is someone going to listen to what I have to say? Yeah. I mean, I'm not some celebrity CEO, you know, whatever. I'm a, I mean, honest to God, I'm a nobody, really, when, you, when it comes down to it, right? I mean, and so I'm just, so I took that month and I still needed something to do. And so... I always wanted to, you know, I grew up literally outside of Hollywood, I was born and raised literally outside of Hollywood. Okay, yeah. And so people had asked me, what is your dream job? And I said, oh, I always wanted to be a movie producer. Oh, wow. And, so, and, I, and I said, I said, you know what, let, let me go. I had this idea for a movie. And so I went to, I went on YouTube and I, and I watched videos on how to write movie treatment and how to write screenplays. And yeah. I go on Reddit and I went on different places, on Twitter and all these places just to kind of get advice from people and talking to people. And so... Make a long story short, uh, I started writing a movie screenplay, and then about three quarters of the way through, I needed some help. So the guy that edited my book, he had done some movie screenplays for Hallmark, and so he wow. came on board to help me. And so, so we wrote that up and sold it, and and then uh, just about a week, about two weeks ago, no, three weeks ago, I completed my second screenplay. Wow! Yeah, yeah, and so now I have a script. Do we have, do we have a theme to look forward to here? Are these are no. these uh, Hallmark type movies? Are they? No, 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 no. The, 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 the first, the, the, no, no. The, the first one is a very uh, two hundred years in the future superhero action kind of a movie. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the second, and then, it, it, with your future, you know, vision. Yeah, and here comes other animals, and, then, <laughs> uh, and so. 
I'm in Newport Beach. I promise you, there's nothing bad. I know. I, I, I for a second, I'm like, are you sure you're in uh, Newport Beach, or are you in New York City? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm in Newport Beach. Uh, so sorry about that. But uh, no, and then the second one is about it's a, it's a really strong female character and kind of like a very it's kind of like a GI Jane meets Grey's Anatomy. Oh, I love so, that. Okay. <laughs> so it's kind of cool, you know. So, how do you get yeah. this? How do you get this? Just do it attitude. Because that's what you do. You just you 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 have an idea. You want to do something, and you go and do it. Right. You know, and, in, and in today's age, it's easier, right? It's a digital world, like you said. You went on Reddit. You went on Google. You watch YouTube videos. You can self-teach yourself almost anything now. Yeah, you know, well, that's a great question. And I'm going to be honest with you. This whole attitude is relatively new. Okay. It's 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 really kind of around, it was kind of right around like it's it's COVID that really put the switch inside of me. Yeah. And because before that, I would just work all the time. Yeah. I was, I was writing a book. I was doing movie screenplays. I worked right. kids, wife, dog, right. and you're just whatever, going around, you're just doing your thing, right? Friends and doing whatever, right? Having fun, whatever. Yeah. And so when COVID hit, you realize no one's promised tomorrow. Right. And that was, and that was amplified uh, early on when, you know, if you, you know, you see the guy above me in my, in that photo, you know, that's Kobe Bryant yep. and I'm a big Kobe guy. And, you know, when Kobe died, that, that was really impactful. And you're not promised tomorrow. I right. mean, he was taking his daughter to a basketball camp. I know. And they died. And so he along with a bunch of other people. And so, and so you're just not, you know, you and I are not promised tomorrow. Nobody's listening to this promised tomorrow. And it's like, yeah. you know what, you know, what type of impact do you want to leave on this planet before you leave and so that's what exactly. that's what really and that's what really kind of that was really the trigger and it was my this is my version of mamba mentality yeah is, yes this is yeah, my version of that and so that's what it is and, and i and i enjoy doing it and i have my bucket list of things i want to go do in my life and yeah. so i'm slowly checking them all off and as, and as you and, i love this so so that's so that, 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 that's what i'm doing and i'm just going to go do it and i don't care if i make a fool of myself in the process and as long as I'm happy, that's all that matters. Yeah, no, I love this. I actually was just in a recording <laughs> earlier today, and um, I, I uh, at a very young age, sort of fell in love with philosophy and neuroscience. And there's this old Buddhist proverb that says the biggest mistake humans make is that we believe time is on our side. And throughout centuries, we sort of forget, like, the importance and, and the teachings. And death is such a big teacher as well, you know? Um, like you said, and and you're you're spot on. Um, you your your story is so cool, Rajiv. You're so cool. You're cool because thank you. You're, you're you're cool because you're real. You're, you you didn't follow sort of you know the traditional you know societal or cultural norms that were placed in front of you, and you know you diversified yourself, which I think is very important, especially the diversity in thought. Um, and it's it's amazing. If there's anything you'd like to wrap us up with or clo closing thoughts that you have for our, our audience, we'd love to hear it. Um, and in the show notes for the show, we will be linking your book, your company, your coaching, everything out there that, you know, you have to offer. You know, I think the biggest piece of advice I can give people is find your why, you yes. know, and I found my why a little bit later in life and my why is to do everything I can to honor other people's dreams. And that's where I leap from. That's what I'm passionate about. And that's what allows me to go focus on myself 
and to go do these to go do these types of things that I want to try to accomplish. Yes. And so that's the biggest piece of advice I think I can give anybody listening is what is your why? My why is to honor other people's dreams. What's your why? I love this. My why is to I I really want to make impactful change before I leave. And I'm doing that through different programs that I'm I've put myself or created within where I live, um, whether it be diversity and asset management firms, which is an internship program that I started, whether it's helping. Um, so I have this program where I help uh, kids in underprivileged communities get an opportunity or mentor international students on how to drive their career. Um, I, I face some of those things, so I want to give back because I remember I didn't have any support or Google for that matter when I first moved to the US and didn't, you know, wanted to figure out my life. And so that is my why. My why is to make positive change. And it starts by planting seeds. We, we can all complain about the problem, but life's not fair, right? Like things are there and it's a reality and you cannot expect people to be as evolved as you. And I remember when I was young and I, that was like maybe my fiery Middle Eastern side. <laughs> I just want to know, you know, I already talk with my hands and I'm not an angry person, but you know, it, it comes off that way, but I'd be so passionate and I'm arguing and I've read these books and da, 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 and I'm like, you know, what am I doing? What am I doing? If you are, if you are making, if you're creating a debate with somebody that may not have as, as a knowledgeable or open mind, and I don't mean formal education. I mean, just an open mind is the most knowledgeable mind, right? Learning different perspectives, understanding different decision-making processes, why certain people think the way they do, different perspectives, right? If you haven't really embodied that, you're not going to know it. And so I took on, I had to learn the hard way that if, if you're there and you want to make a change, be the change, be the influence, drive, drive it, right? We can all complain about the problems. I faced a lot of things, right? Like, you know, non-inclusivity. Um, I grew up in a mixed household, right? I was multiracial, meaning I faced a lot of prejudice and racism growing up. I could have a lot of reasons to be angry at the world, but that's not going to solve anything. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. You know, I talk about it in the book, talk about racism and prejudice. I once had a top tier, tier one executive recruiter tell me to change my name if I wanted to be the CEO of a company. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you it. so much for having me. It's, it was, it's oh been God, a lot of fun. Yeah, it's an honor. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much for being on our show and sharing your journey. It is, it is very important for everyone to hear different perspectives because I think that's our biggest teacher is learning and hearing from others that are out there with real life experiences. I'm going to pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. On each episode, we will continue to bring on successful, dynamic individuals to dig deep and share stories that will inspire you to power up your life. This show is packed with unrivaled storytelling and no reservation advice. Tune in now by searching Power Up with Manal wherever podcasts are found. Please show us just a little bit of love by leaving a review and hitting that subscribe button. This helps our small production get reach and voices heard globally. Let's power up together, baby.